Hey friends, thank you for clicking that button to watch the sermon this week. We are glad that you are joining us. Hey, we got a lot of things going on here at Christ Community, so be sure to check out our website for all upcoming events, different classes, groups, those kind of things so you can get connected. Also, be sure to like and subscribe so that you can get more of our sermons uh, in your feed. We hope you enjoy the message. So glad all of you are here. Welcome to those who are watching online. So my son, Josh, he loves to play video games. And uh, he also loves to watch other people play video games on YouTube, which initially I thought was really weird. Um, and then I realized I watch people play golf. I watch people play football. What's the difference, right? So I was like, okay, you're right. Okay, sorry. But anyway, the other day he was watching this YouTube video of his dad and son playing this video game. And it had, I don't know the name of it, but it had these Marvel characters like in a boxing ring and they were fighting each other. And it was fascinating, you know, Spider-Man, you know, going at it with Hulk or Thor or Thanos or whatever. It was just so, it was so intriguing to see these powerful characters battling each other. Now that was obviously fantasy, but what, what if this could happen in real life? I mean, what if, what if we could actually watch an epic battle between two of the most powerful forces in the universe? Well, today, the passage of scripture that we're looking at gives us exactly that. We're in the midst of a teaching series where we're walking through the book of John, and today we come to an incredibly powerful passage that gives us a front row seat into an epic battle between Jesus and death. So in John 11, we see Jesus facing off against our ultimate enemy, death. But here's what we need to realize as we look at how John tells this story. John gives us this incredible window, not only into the power of Jesus, but also the personality of Jesus, the person of Jesus. And what we see here is beyond what we could ever imagine. This is not your Sunday school flannel graph, Jesus. Some of you are like, what's a flannel graph? Uh, we'll talk later. But anyway, th this, is, this is not a Jesus who fits nicely into the little categories that we try to put him in. This is a Jesus who is larger than life. This is a Jesus who is better than we could ever imagine him to be. Okay, so let's dive into the story. There are four <clears throat> sort of outside the box aspects of Jesus that this story highlights. All right, first is what I would call the frustrating Jesus, okay? The frustrating Jesus. Look with me at John 11, beginning in verse one. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. We're gonna look at that amazing story next week, okay? So the sisters send word to Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick. Now there is obviously a very strong friendship, relational connection between Jesus and Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And so when Lazarus becomes ill, the sisters send <clears throat> word to Jesus. They send Jesus a message that Lazarus, the one he loves, is not doing well. <clears throat> now, the implicit motivation and expectation that accompanies this message is, and we sure hope you're gonna do something about this, okay? You're gonna help. I mean, that's why they send word to Jesus. They want him to come and heal their brother. They expect him to respond by coming to help. And then, I mean, they say as much a little later in the passage, right? So, so how does Jesus respond? Verse four, when he heard this, he got the message, he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. 
So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. John is very intentional in the way he is telling this story. The sisters send word to Jesus that Lazarus is very, very sick. He's on his deathbed, and John says that Jesus loves them, yet he decides to stay put and not do anything to help. I mean, I mean, his friend Lazarus is on his deathbed. I mean, if you hear someone, if you hear about someone that you love that is in trouble, that they're not doing well, you drop everything to immediately go help them. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus decides to wait two more days. Now, what, what kind of a response is this? I mean, really, it just, it doesn't feel very loving. In fact, when Jesus does eventually arrive after Lazarus had been dead for four days, both Mary and Martha, we'll see this later in the passage, both Mary and Martha say to him the exact same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They are clearly disappointed in Jesus. They are frustrated with his response. They reached out to him in a moment of need and he didn't respond as quickly as he could have. And they are now living with, the, with the, the consequences of that. Their brother is now dead. See, from their perspective, Jesus let them down. He didn't respond in the, in the loving way they wanted and expected him to. So have you ever felt that way? Jesus, why did you allow this to happen? Why did you allow my spouse to die from cancer? Why did you let my parents get a divorce? Why didn't you do anything to stop that car accident that took the life of my friend? Why, why did you let me lose my job? Why did you let this tragedy happen? I mean, this is by far one of the biggest challenges that people have with believing in God. How could a loving God allow these kinds of tragedies to happen to us, right? And, and when, we, when it happens, I mean, the frustration, the grief, the anger, the disillusionment we feel is real. Why, God? Where were you when I needed you to intervene? Where were you? So how do we deal with this particular aspect of Jesus? How do we deal with these times where we are frustrated with him and we are disappointed with his response or his lack of response? Well, look, there, there's no quick and easy answer, but this passage does give us a framework in which to process this. Look again at what Jesus says in verse four. It is for God's glory. It is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Notice Jesus is not wringing his hands with worry over Lazarus's situation. He is not in a state of panic, quite the opposite. What we see is a Jesus whose decision to wait two days is rooted in a deeper understanding of God's larger purposes. He knows that God is orchestrating something amazing. God is orchestrating a much larger purpose, even though Mary and Martha, they don't see that purpose. Jesus has a different vantage point. He sees this situation from a much larger perspective. He realizes that God is orchestrating something glorious here. He's orchestrating something glorious here that, that they don't understand. Their perspective is limited. They don't understand. And they, they feel hurt. They feel disillusioned with Jesus' lack of response. They, they don't see the bigger picture. And here's what happens. Sometimes in the midst of experiences like this, when we experience these things, sometimes we start drawing conclusions about God 
conclusions that aren't accurate, but they feel accurate based on our vantage point. I remember taking our youngest son, Joshua, to the emergency room when he was very young. There had been a mishap, had tons of snow. It was in December, tons of snow years ago. And uh, we were shoveling the driveway and somehow my shovel hit his forehead. I don't know what happened. But anyway, I didn't see him and, and, and he ended up with this kind of gash on his forehead. And by the time we got to the emergency room, he was, he was fine, but I knew he was gonna need stitches. And, and I'll never forget having to hold him, wrap him in a blanket, having to hold him down and restrain him. I'm the one, I'm holding him and restraining him while the doctor stood here and he's do, putting stitches. He takes out his instruments to put stitches in Joshua's forehead. I mean, in Joshua's three-year-old mind, there was no comprehension of why his dad was letting this mean doctor do these painful things to him, why his dad wasn't stopping the pain. And in those moments, Joshua may have concluded that I didn't love him or that I didn't have the power to stop this, both of which would have been wrong conclusions. I did love him, and I had the power to tell the doctor to stop, but I chose not to for a larger purpose. So I held him while he screamed, my heart breaking along with his, knowing the purposes beyond the pain. Sometimes we feel frustrated with Jesus for not responding the way we think a loving God should respond. I mean, we're like, of course, a loving God should respond this way. We get frustrated. It is very natural to feel that way. But John wants to remind us here that our vantage point is limited and that Jesus has a larger purpose, a much larger purpose that he is orchestrating. And so are, are we willing to still trust him in the midst of our disillusionment, in the midst of our disappointment and pain. Now, I, I know this may feel like a neat and tidy solution, um, but it's not. It is a difficult uh, and personal, and very personal journey, and, and we see it played out in the rest of this passage, verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Okay, so Martha comes out to meet Jesus outside the village. She hears he's coming, so she comes out there. She meets Jesus outside the village, and she expresses her disappointment, but she also expresses this little seed of faith, right? She says, I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. I mean, there, there's some faith there. So in response, we see a second aspect of Jesus' personality. It's what I would call the confident Jesus. The confident Jesus. Jesus sees this seed of faith in Martha, and he responds by confidently proclaiming truth. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again at the resurrection of the last day. See, she's giving the, the correct orthodox answer. My brother will rise again in the afterlife. But that's not what Jesus is saying. So he clarifies it even more. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. 
And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Jesus is boldly declaring to Martha the truth of who he is and what he's going to do. He's saying, I am, listen, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is saying, look, if I'm in a boxing ring with death, he's going down. I have the power to resurrect the dead, and I have the power to give life, right? He he is is just exuding this confidence in who he is. Now, all of which is great, all of which is great, but notice what he does next. He asks Martha a question. He, He wants her to respond to what he just said. He asks her a question. Do you believe this? In other words, do you trust me? I I know things look bleak. I know things look hopeless and dark right now, but I am the resurrection and the life. Are you willing to trust me? I know this circumstance is painful. I know it's difficult. I know you're frustrated with my lack of response, but I'm just asking you to look at me. I'm asking you to look at who I am because I'm exactly what you need in this situation. I am the resurrection. I am the life. I am Lord over death. Are you willing to believe what I'm saying to you even though you've experienced the death of your brother? See, when we're in the midst of circumstances that don't make any sense, when, when, when we feel like we're stumbling around in the dark, and that's often what we feel like in the midst after a tragedy or something, we're just, the lights go out, and we're just stumbling around in the dark. Jesus urges us to look at him and to remember who he is, to declare to our soul who Jesus is, even if we don't see any evidence of it, even if we don't feel it in that moment, we fix our gaze upon who he is. He is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He is faithful and true. He is loving and good. He is the resurrection and the life. See, and the question he asks Martha, that's the same question he asks us, right? Do you believe this? So he asked Martha this question, verse 27. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe, notice what she says here. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. I love this. He's calling her to believe something something more about himself than she has up to that point. Right? He's He's calling her to believe that he is the resurrection and the life. But she's not there yet. So she articulates what she does know to be true about him. You're the Messiah, you're you're, you're the Son of God. And that's okay. See, Jesus works with the belief we have. He works with the belief we have, but he is always calling us. He He is always challenging us to believe higher, to believe him even more, right? Fully. He's just calling us higher, calling us to believe him more fully. And often, here's the deal, it's in the midst of difficulties, it's in the midst of our struggles and our loss and our pain. It's in those times that this opportunity is kind of uniquely provided because our faith is stretched, right? Our faith is stretched to believe beyond what we have up to this point. I mean, so so often people focus on how miracles are directly linked to kind of our faith, right? The size of our faith or whatever, and great faith results in great miracles. And 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 that's, that's, you know, true and all that. But but I've, I've found in my own life, my own journey, I've found that often greater faith is required when the miracle doesn't happen. When when Jesus is asking me to trust him, to trust who he is when my son is not healed, or or, or when my prayers don't seem to be answered. That's 
when some significant faith is required, right? And that's what's going on here with Martha. Jesus is confidently declaring to her who he is, and he is asking her to believe. And Martha's like, I believe, sort of, and that's okay. I mean, Jesus can work with that. He can work with that. I find great comfort in that passage in Mark chapter 9, where the father of the demoniac son, the father goes to Jesus, and he's asking for help. And, and Jesus says, do you believe? And the father says, I believe but help my unbelief, you know? And Jesus is like, absolutely, I can work with that. I can work with that. Let's do this faith journey together. All right, verse 28, after she said this, she went back, Martha went back and called her sister Mary aside. Hey, the teacher's here. She said, he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but he was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the, when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Okay, so Martha goes out. She tells Mary, Jesus is here. Mary immediately jumps up, and she goes out the house, and she goes to greet him. And as she does, the people who were grieving with her, they come with her. And when she sees him, she says the exact same thing Martha had said. But she gets a completely different response from Jesus. See, Martha approached Jesus theologically and got a theological response from him a declaration of what is true. And that's really, really important. But Mary didn't approach Jesus theologically. She approached him with her heart. She fell at his feet and wept. She was just overcome with emotion, with grief and sadness and confusion at the loss of her brother. And that response brought out another aspect of who Jesus is. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see. They replied. Jesus wept. So what we see here vividly on display is the emotion-filled Jesus, <clears throat> the emotion-filled Jesus. So often we have this, this, this image of Jesus, this stoic image of Jesus who never feels anything. He never shows any emotion. You know, the, the John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, Jason Bourne, pick your generation, whatever, that, that character, right? Nothing phases him. Nothing ruffles him. Nothing moves him from the rock-solid stoic strength that, from that place. No emotion. But that's not what's happening here. John tells us that when, when Jesus saw Mary weeping and the other people who were weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Okay, what does that mean? Well, this phrase, deeply moved in spirit, it literally means to snort with anger. <clears throat> it is a very evocative word. And to be troubled means to be agitated. So Jesus, he is angry and he is agitated. He is deeply troubled. So what is he angry about? 
He is not angry at Mary or the mourners for their sadness and grief. I mean, their response is totally natural. He is not angry at them. So what is he angry about? He's angry about the same thing that you and I feel angry about. When we hear about a 22-year-old girl who was murdered in our city, or we read about an unmarked grave of civilians in Ukraine, or, or, or we're watching a loved one lose their battle with cancer, Jesus is angry at death itself. He is angry at death itself. He is angry at the reality of death, this unwelcome intruder that brings such pain and suffering. You see, look, we need, we need to understand something. If you're exploring God or whatever, all of us, we need to understand this. Death is the antithesis of God's heart and God's design. God is not the author of death. In fact, God feels the same way about death that you and I do today. It makes him angry. About 10 years ago, um, I watched as cancer ravaged my mom's body, just eventually leading to her death. And, and during that season, I at times would hear these well-meaning professionals say that death is just a natural part of life. And death is just what our bodies were naturally designed to do. And everything within me wanted to shout, no! <laughs> No, that is not true. Anyone who has watched someone die knows that death is not natural. It is not a good thing. It is an enemy. It is not what our bodies were naturally built for. We were created for life. So Jesus gets mad at death. But that's not the only emotion that Jesus experiences. Look at what happens next, verse 34. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept, Jesus wept. Now this is really puzzling, right? Think about this, this is so puzzling. Why is he weeping? He knows he's gonna raise Lazarus from the dead in just a few minutes, so why is he weeping now? Well, the reason is clearly explained in the text. It tells us right here, Jesus is weeping because he sees Mary weeping over the death of her brother. He feels her pain. You see, even, even though Jesus knows all about the larger purposes of God, he can't wait for Lazarus to come out of you. I mean, he knows all about the larger purposes of God. He feels with us the incredible pain that we experience in the midst of our waiting for God's ultimate purposes to be revealed. And so he wept. See, this is a moment in which we see so clearly God's power and his love intimately connected. In this moment, we see a God whose eternal plans are beyond our limited understanding, and yet we also see a God who actually weeps with us when those larger plans result in our suffering and pain. I mean, this, this is true empathy on display. You know, sometimes I think we misunderstand what empathy is. Sometimes we say empathy is feeling exactly what another person is feeling. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's accurate. Empathy, it's not feeling exactly what this other person is feeling. Empathy is being willing to feel with this person. I mean, we, we can't enter into exactly what they're feeling because we're not in their shoes, but we can feel with them. 
See, notice Jesus is weeping with Mary, but he's not actually feeling what she's feeling. In fact, the word used to describe Mary weeping in verse 34 is a different word than is used in verse 35 to talk about Jesus weeping. So the word used for Mary's weeping, it it means loud sobbing. But in verse 35, the word used to say Jesus wept, it's a word that means to shed tears, to, to tear up. So again, look, Jesus, he's not feeling what Mary is feeling. He's not sad about Lazarus' death because he knows he's going to raise him from the dead. His, but, he, but his heart is breaking because Mary's heart is breaking. This is the kind of Savior Jesus is. This is the kind of Savior Jesus is. He is with us in our grief, in our sadness, in our pain. His heart breaks knowing that our hearts are breaking. He is with us in our pain, not as some stoic statue, but as a real emotion-filled Savior. I, I remember in my mom's final days, I was there at home in Wichita with my dad, just helping him care for her, and she was in our home and getting nurses in and all that, and we were trying to get her catheter to work and figured out. Neither one of us knew what was doing. I mean, an engineer and a pastor, I mean, good luck with that. And and, um, all the while, we're trying to get this happening. All the while, I'm thinking, "This, this this is my mom who changed my diaper. And I was just, I was just trying to hold my emotions in check so that we could just get this situation figured out to help her. And finally, we did, we got all that figured out, and, and then I just rushed downstairs, and I just lost it. I mean, I'm just weeping. And I remember, uh, I just felt the presence of Jesus with me in that place that he was weeping too. See, our Savior is not the stoic Savior who is distant and unmoved by our pain and our grief. No, no, no. He is a God who weeps with us. Who weeps with us. Well, of course, it's not the end of the story. Um, Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. The Lord said, Martha, the ever practical one, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and he said, Father, I thank you. I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they would, that they would believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet, you know, wrapped with strips of linen. He's just kind of whatever, mummying out or whatever, a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Jesus stands at this tomb that holds a decomposing body that's been dead for four days. And an eyewitness is writing this. John was there. He's writing this. Dead for four days. This is not a resuscitation after being dead for a few minutes. This is not Princess Bride, mostly dead, all right? This is dead, dead. This is dead. Someone whose body has been decomposing for four days 
And Jesus calls out in a loud voice, Lazarus, calls him by name, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man comes out, wrapped in burial clothes, fully alive. I mean, who is this Jesus? What kind of a savior is this? This is the triumphant Jesus, right? This is the WWE Jesus who is Lord over death. This is a Jesus who, who speaks. He speaks, and in response to his voice, dead, decomposing things come to life. Jesus brings life into the most difficult, dark circumstances. And look, there are so many directions that we could go with what this means in our lives, but let me just mention a couple here. For for one thing, this means that death is not the end for us. I mean, this miracle, as amazing as as it was, is pointing us to something even greater because we got to realize Lazarus died eventually, okay? He's not living forever. He died eventually, like all of us. He, he died, we will eventually die. But the hope of this passage is, that in, 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 Jesus, is in Jesus' declaration to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. <laughs> I am the resurrection and the life. The, one, the person who believes in me will live even though they die. That's what he told her. That's our hope. That's what this miracle ultimately says to us. No tomb, no coffin, no urn, no diagnosis is stronger than Jesus. He is able to resurrect us and give us life eternally, which is an amazing hope, but there is more here than that. As I I read this passage with Jesus calling Lazarus out of the tomb, I wonder, where is Jesus calling you and me? out of places of darkness and death? Where is Jesus inviting us to let go of those things that are causing our relationships and our hearts to decompose? Where is Jesus calling us to step out of the tombs of fear and discouragement and the destructiveness of sin in our lives and to remove the grave clothes and to walk in the freedom and fullness of our triumphant Savior. See, whatever you're walking through, whatever you and I are walking through, listen, Jesus, in this story, he is exactly what you and I need. He is exactly what we need. Maybe, if you put yourself in the story here, maybe you're like Martha. You're walking through disappointment. You're walking through difficulties, and your faith is just hanging by a thread. And you need to encounter the confident Jesus who is declaring to your heart who he is. He is not wringing his hands about your situation. He is not worried about your situation. He is standing before you, inviting you to believe all that he says about himself. He really is Lord. He really is good. He really is the resurrection and the life. And he's wanting you to trust him. Or maybe... If you put yourself in the story, you're like Mary, feeling overwhelmed with pain and grief and confusion and sadness. And Jesus wants you to know that he sees you and he is with you in your pain. His heart is breaking along with yours. He he just, he just longs to hold you. Or maybe you're like Lazarus. And right now, you are hearing Jesus' voice calling you by name to come out, 
to come out of whatever tomb you are, 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 you find yourself in, calling you out of your fear, calling you out of your emptiness, your self-absorption, your bondage to sin. I mean, Jesus is an amazing Savior. He is exactly what we need and more. So let's place ourselves in this story and let him be that for us. Let's pray. So I want, to do, I want us to do exactly that. Holy Spirit, just come and speak to us. Your word is living. And so I want us to think about this question. Where are you in this story today? Where are you in this story? For some of you, again, you feel like Martha. You're in the midst of chaos, darkness. You're trying to figure out what to do. I want you to take a moment. And you can be all three of these if you want, okay? So just take a moment here. For the Marthas here, if we feel like we're Martha, take a moment. And I want you to ask Jesus a question. And I want you to just to listen to what he might want to whisper to your heart. Here's the question. Jesus, what truth do you want to speak to my soul right now about who you are? What truth do you want to speak to my soul about who you are? And now let's just listen. Jesus, continue to speak to our hearts about who you are. And everything within us is just saying, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me raise my faith to where you want it to be, Lord, to believe who you are. For others of you here, when you think about this story, you resonate so much with Mary. You're in the midst of feeling sadness, grief, and heartache. And I want you to just take a moment and imagine Jesus being with you. He sees you, and he is moved by your pain. He weeps with you. And just be in that place with him. Just let him hold you, let him love you. And for others of you here, when you're thinking about this story, and I believe the Lord is on this here, some of you, 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 you realize you're Lazarus. Well, what tomb do you find yourself in? And can you hear, can you hear the voice of Jesus calling you by name to step out of the tomb? to step out of the secrecy, step out of the, the fear, the deception, the lies, and to step into the light. Are you willing to say yes to him? Yes to Jesus, calling you out of those places. <laughs> and if so, let's just do that right now. Just say yes, Jesus. Yes. tired of the tombs, I'm tired of the grave clothes, tired of the fear and the dis just all of that, I'm just tired of it and the lies 
Jesus, we want to step into the life that you have for us. We say yes, and we ask you to just remove the grave clothes, Lord, that have bound us up. And we just want to walk in the fullness of who you are, God. Who you are, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, come. I just ask you to come right now and just bring the presence of Jesus here. Bring freedom, bring life, bring love, all of that as we continue to worship this morning. Whether we're standing or sitting or kneeling, God, this is just all about you, Jesus. And I just want to encourage all of you here, those watching, just let's just experience Jesus together, who he is, this amazing Savior. He's exactly what you need him to be and more. So we welcome you, Lord. We worship you, Jesus. We love you, God.